Okay, you guys, with that, let's uh, stand up and, uh, for our scripture reading. So if you've been, uh, been around uh, Riverbend, you know we're in a series in Genesis, but we've taken a brief little pause around Easter uh, to just take stock of what God has done so far. So we're checking back in today on the vision God gave us for 2023 and sort of taking an inventory of what God has done so far. And uh, today's scripture reading comes from uh, Psalm 63, and this is how it goes. You, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you, and your right hand upholds me. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Have a seat. So, if you were here for the very first week of January 2023, and your memory is impeccable, you might remember that this year is the year of undivided devotion. That's exactly right. Mitchell got it. Oh my gosh. Come on. Mitchell's been listening. I love that. So by that, we essentially mean this. Your time and your affection are way too valuable to squander on something less than God. Or put another way, he is way too good and filled with love and power and glory for you to be distracted in your worship of him. So keep in mind, he's the one who he's made you with eternity in your hearts. He's the one who satisfies your, what your soul craves in a savior named Jesus who loves you perfectly. So I know that whatever Netflix docu-series you're really into right now is riveting, but it does not hold a candle to the creator of heaven and earth. Except we all know it's not really that simple. We're living in the attention economy. And by that we mean that the deepest pockets in the world are companies who are investing billions in capturing and holding your attention. And their goal is to win your business and to keep you away from their competitors. But the unintended consequence is that we now have a bit of a focus problem. Most modern humans are in a constant state of partial digital distraction, and that has a deep effect on our mental health in general, but also our spiritual lives as well. And so here's what that all adds up to. The knock-on effects of that are this. Even though deep down, our core belief is that Jesus is the one true king and we worship him alone, we, most of us, spend most of our days on the surface, abiding in the thought world of the internet and not as Jesus taught us to in him. So Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount that says you cannot serve two masters. I think applied to our context, I believe, means this. You cannot worship God when something else has your attention. When something else has your focus, you can't actually truly worship him. So the good news is that how you spend your free time and what you cultivate love in your heart for all of that is in the realm of your control. You are not a slave to this, 
right? You are not a slave to this. You do not have to spend four hours a night on a device or check your notifications first thing in the morning. You don't have to do that. You get to decide who has your attention. You get to decide what you most deeply love. You and only you get to aim your life. Now, so far, I haven't told you anything that you don't already know, yet the church in the West is in large part being distracted into spiritual oblivion. So the reason why this problem is persisting is not because of anything that we don't know, it's because the cultural tide is stronger than our resolve to resist it. The cultural tide is stronger than our resolve to resist it. So if this battle came down to our willpower alone, it would already be over. We would have lost, but thank God that it doesn't, right? The, the, the solution that we're craving is we want a love that's more powerful than our distractions. A love that's more powerful than our distractions or our addiction to distraction. And that love is awakened in us when we abide in Christ. And Jesus' iconic teaching on the vine and the branches, upon which, by the way, our entire model for discipleship to Jesus is built, he says this, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. And I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So complete joy in the divine love. That sounds a lot better than whatever is bombarding your feed right now, right? So it's not about your resolve or your willpower being stronger than the algorithms. It's what John Piper and others have called Christian hedonism. He's saying that God's love is better than all of that stuff. It's more pleasurable. It's more delightful. It's more satisfying than whatever the algorithms are pumping your way right now. And he's actually got power to heal you and to make you whole. So how do we truly experience this love that comes from Jesus that is more pleasurable and delightful and satisfying than anything else that life could possibly offer you. Well, the scripture tells us by obeying God's commands and by abiding in the vine, which is metaphor, but it's concrete. He's saying, stay connected to the presence of God moment by moment. Again, this is not an abstract kind of thing. It's a concrete, grace-filled opportunity for you to spend time in the presence of God at all times, a concrete, grace-filled opportunity for you to spend with God at all times. Speaking of distractions, um, King David, when he wrote Psalm 63, the one that I just read to you, um, he was writing this during a time when he was a general on the battlefield. He was facing an army on the horizon that was much bigger, much stronger than his own. So I'm not here to like belittle your problems or whatever, but the Philistines were a little bit more ominous than whatever's trending on TikTok right now. Uh, it's a more ominous distraction. I got a laugh at the first gathering. Did I, have I put you guys to sleep already? This is good stuff. All right. Um, Imagine how frustrating and terrifying it must have been to be one of David's lieutenants, expecting to have like a battle planning session. But instead, what does he get? He gets David sitting down and saying, hey, welcome everyone. I'm glad that you made it to the session. Uh, I wrote a new worship song today, and this is how it goes. Oh God, my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water, I've seen you in the sanctuary and I've beheld your power and your glory. And because your, lo your love is better than life, my lips will praise you. That, 
folks, is undivided devotion. And David's men were probably at least like slightly concerned that he didn't appreciate the wrath of their enemy or that he was having some kind of mental break. But the reality is that this is actually how David does his battle planning. This is how he consistently does it. Whatever is looming on the horizon, whatever threat is coming their way, none of that has the ability to unseat the Lord from the throne of my heart. He still occupies the deepest center place of my entire life. So whatever's looming on the horizon will not unseat me or pull me off the plot of what God wants to do in my life. He is still on the throne of my heart. I refuse to be distracted by that. So this is what undivided devotion looks like. I don't think that David has more resolve or willpower than you. I think what David has is a holy fire burning in him that was put there by God because he's seen God and beheld his glory. That's what he says has happened to him and that has awakened in him a fire that can't be put out. Nothing compares to God and his love. It's a hedonistic mentality actually. He's saying, I've traded in counterfeits for the real thing, and this is what makes me alive. So the entire premise of my entire ministry uh, for the last 17 years is this, that you can possess this same kind of undivided, undistractable heart towards Jesus. If you want it, you can learn to abide in him in the exact same way. And so over the last couple of years, I think Riverbend has done a fairly decent job Uh, teaching you to abide in Christ through prayer, different categories of prayer. We've done a couple of different prayer courses, eight-week courses, um, often on a midday midday evening. We've also done several prayer sermon series. We've recommended a few really great books. We've recommended a few apps. We've done several different practices of prayer at Riverbend at night through different categories of prayer, like imaginative prayer and Lectio Divina, listening prayer, and all kinds of things like that. We've also offered gatherings every single week where you can come and pray in community with us. And we've also had a wide open door policy that if anyone wants to come in and receive prayer, we'll make it happen as soon as humanly possible. So this has been how we've oriented our ministry and aimed our ministry over the last several years as we recognize that we need more uh, than just books and teachings. We actually need experience around prayer. And at the end of last year, uh, we discerned through prayer, go figure, that we're still only just beginning. We're still only just beginning. We haven't even begun to exhaust the delight of God's good presence. And if we're going to get anything right at all, it's going to be our resolve to seek God as a matter of first importance in life. This is what we're after. And I believe that you cannot appreciate or experience any of the other benefits of life in God if you do not have a life of prayer. Leonard Ravenhill has said that no man is greater than his prayer life. And I actually agree with him on that. So we discerned that we needed much more uh, in order to be shaped into the image of Christ and to abide in prayer um, as as a part of our normal everyday. So we began our our, our plans to, to launch the prayer room, the 40 days of nonstop prayer for spiritual awakening 
during Lent, and we just concluded that about a week and a half ago, which was so incredible. We actually hit our goal, almost a thousand hours of prayer, and we, uh, aside from like a few people who like got sick or fell off last minute or whatever, we had like 99% or more of those hours uh, filled in our prayer room right back here, which is absolutely incredible. So to grow in prayer, we believe we need more than just teaching, teachings and books. We actually need experience. So the idea um, with the, the 40 days of prayer is to like actually, we wanted to disrupt our daily rhythms to actually be with God. It's sacrifice the time that you would normally spend doing anything else in a space that's curated to connect you to God's presence. And frankly, um, God's put this on my heart uh, many years ago, uh, but up until we started on February uh, 22nd, I, I, I didn't actually know uh, whether or not it'd be something that people actually resta- responded to or went for, or if it would just be like 10 or 12 of us that were just filling in all the hours or whatever it was. But the response from you and from the Lord was nothing short of overwhelming. I personally have not seen in, in the Northwest uh, the, the kind of change, transformation that I've seen in you over the last couple of months as we've sought God as a matter of first importance. I have seen a 10x or more multiplication of the activity of God, uh, and that's not a scientific number, it's just like what I have seen uh, is a a major change and transformation in you. So what I wanted to do uh, for some time today is just to reflect back on what happened during our 40 days of prayer and to appreciate what God did, and then to also think about what about our future? Where are we gonna go from here? So I, for the sake of time, I can really only share with you a couple of stories, but there are many, many stories, and there are some that I probably don't even know about myself or couldn't probably possibly articulate to you, but there were a lot of common themes. Some of the common themes that we saw, we saw people walking into the prayer room a certain way and walking out different. For example, one of the things we saw is people walking in hurting broken, in pain, suffering for one reason or another, but coming out of the prayer room feeling healed, filled with the peace of God, maybe for the first time in a really long time. We've seen also another theme, people walking into the prayer room angry, disillusioned, wondering where God is in all of the mess of life, and then leaving the prayer room with a sense of God's grace and a sense of his peace. We also saw people walk into the prayer room like genuinely addicted to patterns of sin, and on the way out, people forgiven and given a vision for a life of holiness. We saw people walk in sort of confused and uncertain, like not really even sure what to expect, but left awake and alive to realize like, oh wait, this isn't just like talk, there's actually something to this. And so just a couple of stories um, of things that we saw God do. There's a woman in our family who messaged me this week and um, she went in super apprehensive about spending an hour in prayer, which she had never really done with any consistency before, but she decided to challenge herself, because we put the challenge out to her, uh, to, 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 to pray, at, to go in and to pray at night as a sacrifice, challenge herself to devote herself uh, to the Lord. And right away, what she said, this is a literal quote from her, is that God began to stir revival in her, which is of course where it starts. Revival starts in the people of God and it spreads from there. And uh, so immediately after booking that first hour, she spent an hour, peaked like this, this new sense of, uh, of, of, of the presence of God and so she immediately booked midnight to 2 a.m. for the rest of the 40 days. <laughs> and she just took them all, that entire slot. And uh, what ended up happening is she was in there with her husband every night, and they basically described these two hours that they, at first they, they thought there was no way that they could spend two hours in prayer. 
um, but it actually went by really quickly for them. They were bummed when it was over and they were craving and longing to go back the following night. She also described a lot of things that God was doing in her and her husband as they were praying. For example, connecting with the pain and the stories of the people who wrote their stories in the unanswered prayer journal, which I have here. Just the, seeing the things um, that people were crying out for and she began to intercede for them. But then there was also a lot of answered prayer as well. For example, what she described as sort of their biggest answered prayer for her and her husband was that they have this adult daughter who for years had, had, had ghosted them. They cut, basically cut them uh, out of her life and they didn't know how to get a hold of her. They didn't have an address or a phone number or anything like that. And finally, after praying and praying and praying and praying and praying, finally, their daughter reached back out to them, established connection, wrote them a letter and said, now let's begin relationship again. This is so good. Another young woman in our community, she went into the prayer room feeling really hurt, distraught, broken about their partner's sin. And it was um, like a breaking point for her. And yet she found herself in prayer, discovering the safety of being in God's presence. And also uh, like a desire to actually forgive that person. Forgiveness is something that welled up in her that she actually wanted to do, which is wild and so amazing that we actually walk into God's presence often with grudges and complaints and we wanna hold things against people. And yet what happened to her is that she was transformed and she actually wanted to receive forgiveness and offer forgiveness to her partner. And what she also described is that I actually never experienced grace in such a powerful way. This is a quote from her. She said, I've never experienced grace in such a powerful way than when I extended it to someone else. I've had deeper experience of God's grace now that I extended it to someone else. There's another young man who's a part of our community. He's newer to faith. He started a relationship with Jesus uh, through Alpha, and he's sort of been in and out of the church over the last six months and sort of described to me feeling sort of lost again. And so one of his friends dragged him reluctantly into the prayer room. And when we were talking about it, he admitted to me that he was sort of feeling uninspired and a little bit skeptical. Like the people who were hyping the prayer room, he was kind of like, okay, whatever. Okay, fine, I guess I'll go get you guys off my back. So in the prayer room, he, he gravitated to the unanswered prayer journal because he wanted to just start writing down the things that he wished God would do for him but hadn't yet done. And this is um, one of the big profound mysteries of our lives, each of our lives, is the, the prayers that go seemingly unanswered. And so he was doing that. And then as he was writing those things down, he was again feeling empty. He said he described feeling alone. And then his friend... I just started praying and started thanking the Lord in the midst of his sort of moment of angst. And uh, everything changed at that point. He describes there being like a, a parting of the clouds and this intense, bright, luminescent light flowing into the room. And it registered to him as God's peace. And this is a direct quote from him. It was so good, I thought I'd, I'd have to share it for you, or share it to you verbatim. He said, God has graced me with his presence in ways that I have never experienced before and can't really articulate. It was truly healing and just an unreal experience. Another guy, um, he shared that when he went into the prayer room, but he went into the prayer room essentially as a favor to me because he likes me, and I was like all about it. And he's like, all right, okay. And he's also the kind of guy that doesn't back away from a challenge. So he said, all right, let's do it. Let's do the prayer thing. 
uh, but he wasn't especially eager to pray for an hour, and he wasn't really looking forward to it. But then after a few times, not the first time, but after a few times, he began actually seeing the value of thanking the Lord even though he didn't really feel it, which I think is a bedrock foundational under, uh, like, like, uh, principle to, to practicing the presence of God, is thanking him before we feel thankful. And then it begins to shape how we pray. And I, I think, again, I don't think you can get very far in your life of prayer without learning the language of praise and thanksgiving. And that's exactly what happened to him when he started praying. And that's when it began to change for him. And again, he also booked every single night and started inviting people to come in with him. And together, he showed them, a new believer himself, he showed them how to pour out their hearts to God together. And what he described was he was letting go of the lies that he had believed about himself, of being unworthy, and he began to see God for who he was instead of being defined by his sin. And then this is another direct quote. I I just had to quote it because I thought it was so good. He said this to me. He said, that night, I stood firm in the presence of my brothers and sisters and gave every lie, every fear, and every last bit of shame to the Lord, and he moved in my life. The next few weeks in the prayer room, more walls kept crashing down so long as I gave it over to Jesus. So what you see here is this man's situation, his actual circumstances in his life are not changing all that much, but what is deeply changing is his experience of his circumstances. And that's actually what we find in prayer most of all, is that God actually changes us. I received also an email from a young woman this week who doesn't even go to Riverbend, but she heard about the prayer room from somebody who does, and she signed up with her teenage brother, And her teenage brother, apparently, from her email, has been struggling with faith and struggling with whether or not he actually still believes that God's real and all of that, which is, again, such a common story we hear, particularly in the Pacific Northwest and the post-Christian climate in which we live. And this is what she wrote me. She said, his faith in Jesus has grown so much since we had the opportunity to go go into the prayer room. And the Lord has been speaking to him and showing him things that he has never before seen. And I just really want to thank you for the opportunity and for providing a prayer room that the community could come and join in together. Come on. That's just so good. A Gen Zer is finding life in Jesus uh, through the prayer room. I love that. Not to mention that there's been many people actually came to faith in the prayer room, believe it or not, which is just remarkable to see what God has done. And through the night, people crying out. Also, I was meeting with a brother this week who is a very faithful man, has been praying a lot of his life. And uh, so we have had lots of really good chats over the last couple of months about his prayer life. And he was one of the first ones to sign up for the prayer room. And when he uh, went into the prayer room, he described it to me like this. He says, it's just one of those quiet places. He says, a lot of my life, I'm like, it's really noisy. There's lots of distraction. There's lots of things that are like competing for my attention. But being in the prayer room, it was just quiet. And I got to seek the Lord there, which is incredible. It's amazing. Uh, another woman in our, in our family, someone who's cl- dear and close to me, has just been dealing with an insane grief, suffering over the last year or so that has deeply impacted her faith to the point where she's even questioned a lot of God's goodness or whether or not he sees her, cares about her at all. And uh, it's actually, frankly, affected her ability to serve and to be around and to be at church and all of that. But in the prayer room, both her and her husband were crying out for him to just reveal his heart to himself. And it was in the prayer room and following that the Lord just began to show her that despite everything, despite the pain in her story, he sees her, he's with her, and he loves her. 
And those were the things that made the difference for her. And it was so fun to see her last Sunday at Resurrection Sunday in the middle of the Easter service, raising her hands and shouting praise to Jesus. Her faith has been restored. She's actually made it through the dark night and out to the other side with a sense of new resolve and hunger for the Lord. It's incredible. Also, um, another friend of mine, which, by the way, there's tons of stories. Yeah, we can applaud that. We can totally applaud that. Um, uh, there's so many more stories. Again, I, I really do, we don't have time to get into all of them, but just a couple quick, quick ones. Um, another good friend of mine, he's literally been in the church his entire life. He's one of those kids whose parents, like, as soon as they were born, they went, like, immediately to church the following Sunday. He's in his late 30s now, and he's just been, like, literally in church his entire life. And um, we've been meeting over the last couple of months because he's always felt like God is distant. He hasn't actually felt that close to God. Maybe you can relate to that. And uh, so anyways, as his spiritual director and pastor and friend, I've just been sort of guiding him through that. And I encouraged him to just give the prayer room a try. Just go and try it and see what the experience is like for you. And he texted me immediately following that. He's like, bro, I don't know how to describe this. I think this is maybe what you've been talking about. This was the first time in my 35 plus years of being in the church that I've actually heard the voice of God. It's an absolute profound thing. And I'm looking around the room and there's stories that I haven't even shared that I know of. And then there's more stories that I haven't heard. My, uh, one final one, this is uh, just personal, very personal to me. I was, uh, yesterday was our Sabbath and my family and I were at the park and we were going to go visit some family and so we were driving, just happened to drive past the church and um, as we were driving past the church, my, my son Jude, who's five years old in the back seat, he goes, Dad, can we go to the prayer room tomorrow? And I was like, yeah, buddy, we can do that. And I kid you not, both my son and my daughter in the back seat like put their hands up and they all, they both screamed, yeah! Like we get to go to the prayer room tomorrow. Which, to, it was like I had told them we were going to Dairy Queen or something like that. They were just, they were stoked to do it. So for me, just a huge personal victory and win to see even my own kids falling in love with this, 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 this idea, this, this, this thing of, of spending time in the presence with the Lord. So how do we explain what's happening? Well. How do we explain what this is? Well, it's a lot of different things we could say about it, but here's what I believe is at the core of what's actually happening in our church. What's happening is that as we learn to abide in Christ, he's, he's making us resilient disciples. And by that I mean uh, many of you have had some really great pastors over the years, and you've been coming to church gatherings, and you've heard lots of incredible sermons, teachings from the scripture, where people tell you, the pastor tells you, the book tells you that you're loved by God, tells you who you actually are, helps you sort out the lies from the truth, and gets you to hopefully believe in what's true of you and what's true of God. We've, we have no shortage of really great teachings like that, but what happens when we abide in Christ is that we're not assured by second hand or third hand about the love of God. He actually tells us himself. And we actually need to hear him say that I love you. We actually need to hear him say, you're my cherished, beloved son. And it's actually in that firsthand relationship that you have with God that you become convinced of what's actually true of him and what's actually true of you. And I cannot give you any substitute that will mean anything to you that is not just profoundly encountering and experience the goodness of God yourself. And so this response that we've seen, I think, is 
really, um, really wild, kind of, kind of, like I said, overwhelming. Um, I've been unable to keep up with the, uh, the, the new demand for worship and prayer nights. I'm like unable to keep up with your guys' eagerness to meet for prayer and worship, which I stink and love that. There's been people driving in from Madras and Lapine, and uh, we've had like, hun- we, at the beginning of the prayer room, we got hundreds of little scraps of pieces of paper um, where you could like write down something that you m- maybe got in a uh, prophetic vision or the scripture or something like that. And right now, uh, we, by the way, we ran out of the 300 things and we had to get like 300 more. And the entire uh, room is just covered in thing after thing after thing, 90% of which is just the scripture. Again, things that you've been taught and you know and you've read and memorized and all of that. But it is taking on new meaning. It's actually the truth of God is being embodied in your life as you spend time with the Lord. So uh, the inspiration in the prayer room right now is at an all-time high for me because I'm seeing all of these just wonderful scriptures that the Lord has spoken over you. I've also uh, heard that already two of you, I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure if there's more of you, but already two of you have converted your movie room into a, a prayer room in your house. Which to me, I think is a condensed symbol of what God wants to do with his church at large. Become disinterested and disenchanted with the entertainment of our culture. We've got plenty of it. It's distracting us into spiritual oblivion. Instead, come awake to the reality of the goodness of God's presence and devote yourself in undivided devotion to him. That's what I'm seeing. I love that. So thanks for... If you've converted your movie room into a prayer room, let me know about it because it would actually make me feel really inspired. So that's incredible. So here's what's going on. You have ta- those of you who've taken part, uh, those of you who've given yourself to this, you have tasted of the goodness and glory. You've seen it. You've experienced it. Like David, there's something now in you, a fire that's been awakened that can't be put out. So what is next? What, what happens after the prayer room, Right? So I actually think that uh, both you, for you as an individual, for us also as a church, this is a crucial moment in the life of our, of our church. Because not only has your personal calendar been disrupted by the prayer room, those of you who have taken part, m- more than that, there's been a cultural disruption in our church, where it used to be 5 or 10 or 20% of people who have been sort of awake to this reality of seeking God as a matter of first importance, and now it's a much larger percentage. And so in uh, the innovation uh, theory or diffusion of innovation theory. This is a moment to capitalize on the, the, what God has been doing and the cultural disruption. Dozens and dozens of you um, have been awakened to the goodness and joy of God in ways that I can actually see in your eyes now. And it's awesome to see. The new, there's a new hunger for the gospel spreading and transforming lives. Again, um, uh, yeah, I, I have not been able to keep up with the new demand for people coming for worship and prayer, which is my favorite. So we wanna capitalize on this cultural disruption. So here's, here's how we're going to capitalize on it. Uh, first and, and, and foremost, this is the announcement many of you have been waiting for. Um, starting today, we are going to be reopening the prayer room indefinitely. Yeah, which I know many of you were mad at me for ever closing it in the first place. But we gave ourselves a little bit of time to get ready. Until kingdom come, hopefully, this prayer room will be open, God willing. But, uh, yeah, yeah. There's, go- but, uh, there's going to be a couple of key differences. The first one is this. The first difference is this. The prayer room will be open 
24 hours a day, seven days a week, but we're not creating the expectation right now that every hour is filled. Because a couple times a year, around Lent and other times, we want to challenge you to rise to it and fill every hour, pray around the clock with us. But for the majority of the year, like for right now, for example, it'll be open at 2 a.m. if you're up and you wanna come in and pray or if you want to um, have a special time of prayer, it'll be open at 2 a.m., but it's not required in our minds that every hour is filled. So starting today, you can go onto our website, follow the link on our website, and book your time in the prayer room. So that's the change number one. Change number two is, this is important for us, for me personally, it's very important. This is not Riverbend's prayer room. We are calling this the Bend prayer room. Hopefully the first of many where anyone from any church or no church at all can come anytime and seek Jesus. So one very important principle in the kingdom of God is that Jesus is the one who gets his glory. Jesus is the one who gets his glory. So he might exalt us or honor us in due time, but that's his business and not ours. So I'm not saying that the prayer room is a move of the Holy Spirit or it's something special, but if it is, we will not be the ones getting attention for it because its purpose is to glorify Jesus and its purpose is to connect you to him, not to us. So the things that uh, we produce and put in there, which there's been a lot of really, I think, inspiring artwork that's been produced and put into the prayer room, it's not emphasizing our brand. There's gonna be no uh, social media like posts in there. There's going to be no like ways to like go to our event. We're not plugging anything. We're not promoting anything. It's all about him. It's emphasizing Jesus, right? Um, again, uh, I think that there have been, history is filled with these amazing stories, moves of God that started with humble people who made the unfortunate mistake of using a move of God to grow their platform or emphasize their brand. And uh, we just can't afford to let that happen because this is not about us. It's about him and his glory. Jesus is gonna get his glory. And also, this is more than just us. Since we inherited this building, uh, we've sensed that the Lord is calling us to open the doors as a prayer chapel to the city. And right now, this is an important step in that direction. I'm currently networking with some other churches in town that we're connected with, and we will soon have an independent website where, where we'll be able to handle all of the registration, so this is truly a whole Church of Ben thing and not a River Bend Church thing. And my ultimate dream, and I hope you're with me on this, is that one day we will have a multi-ethnic, truly ecumenical family who's praying for revival in Central Oregon. And that's what we're ultimately going for, yeah. So that's change, that's change number two. Change number three, and this is a small change, but I'm gonna be blocking out a couple of days where I normally do my pastoral, pastoral direction on Mondays and Tuesdays during my normal working hours, and I'm gonna be using it exclusively during those hours to pray for any of you who wanna come in and, and, and pray with me, and I hope uh, to spend time with each and every one of you uh, in the prayer room this coming year, and you can do that. Uh, we can do it this week if you want. Like, I'm game. Um, so that's, that is one way that we're capitalizing on the cultural disruption that God has brought in our community through the 40 days of prayer. The second thing, in addition to reopening the prayer room, we also want to encourage you to take the habits and the tools that you learned in the prayer room into the other places that you pray. 
I remember a long time ago, I was working at a church in Portland, a really awesome big church, and there was a big staff team, and I remember every single week, we would have this um, like staff devotional time, and every week, there's these really amazing, gifted, and anointed leaders who would get up there and share devotion, um, really incredible people, and then one week, one of my friends named Carly, who was a really young woman, and she, it, she was an admin, and she had never been asked to speak in front of a group before, and she was asked to speak for, for staff devotions, and she was kind of nervous, and everybody could kind of tell, uh, but, and she was like stumbling over her words, which is something that happened, I, I do that constantly, I'm constantly stumbling over her word, my words, and so she was kind of doing that, um, and what she misspoke uh, was, all of life is a prayer room, and then she was like walking it back and like trying to say something else, and I was like, whoa, like in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, wait a second, did you hear what she just said? That was like prophetic and profound, like all of life is a prayer room, absolutely, I agree with that. And all of life is your prayer room. Take advantage of that. Curate a space at home. Learn to put away distraction, not just in the prayer room. You can turn your phone on silent any old time you want. You don't just have to do it in the prayer room. You can consecrate your time and your space to be with God. Apply what you've learned in the prayer room anywhere that you pray. Remember Jesus said in John chapter 4 to the woman at the well, a time is coming and now is when the true worshipers will not worship on this mountain or in Jerusalem, but they will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kinds of worshipers that the Father speaks, so, uh, seeks. So life is your prayer room, and the whole earth is. So what we want to do is we want to encourage you to take the things that you've learned here in this condensed time and apply it to the rest of your life. Also, uh, a couple of more events that are happening. Um, on May 5th, Cinco de Mayo, we're gonna be hosting our first ever worship and art night, which I'm thrilled about. This is a night where all of the art that was produced in the prayer room, inspired by the prayer room, poetry, paintings, music, stuff like that, um, we're gonna have them all on display out here in the sanctuary, and we're gonna also have those artists who are here themselves sharing their pieces. Some of them will be sharing their own music, the worship, the, the, the works of art that they created, and then we'll also be spending time that evening in prayer and worship as well. So we want this to be just the first of many, where the inspiration and the creativity that God has given us through abiding in him would actually bleed out into the rest of life, and we also want to create more opportunities in raw and unfiltered ways for you to come and just praise the Lord in prayer and worship communally, not just alone, but also communally. We're also going to be doing, you guys excited about the May 5th thing? That's going to be awesome. Okay, another thing that we're going to be doing, Dates TBD, um, a lot of prayer trainings. So by that we mean this, we want to equip you to care for others in prayer. I've seen God move innumerable times, way too many times to count, actually, uh, through spiritual direction. Seeing God heal, heal people emotionally and spiritually from wounds and, and things like this. And I've seen God show up. And I, I know he wants to do the same in your life and the, for the people that you care about. And so uh, we want to train you uh, to, to pray in intentional and thoughtful ways so that you can actually care for people well uh, in prayer. And finally for now, there's many more things, but finally for now, because we're running out of time, we're also going to be launching a men's Friday morning prayer time from 5.30 to 6.30 a.m. indefinitely. Um, so uh, several of the men, Ravi and Chet and Rich and Stephen and others, um, who've been experiencing God in the prayer room and have wanted more of that for the community of guys, they came to me and said, hey, can we do this? And I said, yup. Like, 100%, come and pray anytime. Let's do it, let's make it happen. So every single Friday morning, bring your own coffee. But guys, you're welcome to, to come here and join the men in prayer. 
So that is where we go from here, is we want to capitalize on this thing that God has started in us this year. And the second thing, or the last thing before, before I let you go here, is just a question for you to reflect on. What do we expect and anticipate God will do when he has our full attention? See, a lot of that potential has been off the table because we've been distracted. But when he has your full attention, what do you anticipate that God will do? So l- let me be clear. Um, the, the, the first reason that we pray is because God is worthy of our worship and our praise. This is one of the things that Americans especially have gotten wrong about prayer because we're so consumeristic and we're always out for something that we get in return. So if I pray, what am I gonna get in return? What about what does God get? Like, is God gonna get his glory from you or not? Is he going to be praised with your lips or someone else's or all of creation? Are you going to praise him? That's the the central question of prayer. He's not a means to an end, right? We're not using him to get freedom or to get wealthy or to be some sort of genie in a bottle. He is our end. Remember, all of the Psalms are, are riddled with these lines, like in Psalm 63, earnestly I seek you, my lips will praise you. It's about him and God getting his glory. That being said, whenever we spend time in the presence of God, Uh, we anticipate that he's going to change and transform us. It just happens. Being in the presence of God, we are changed by that. It cannot not happen um, because of who he is. And so my conviction is that um, we don't actually, you and I, we don't actually need like a bunch of isolated miracles that prove God's here. Uh, Sad story. I I remember uh, not too long ago, uh, we're all about the miraculous. We've seen God do miraculous things. I saw God do a miracle for a young man where he literally healed of a disease. Uh, I walked away, delivered him free. And three months later, he walked out on his family and, uh, and, and left the faith. So, uh, so miracles are, are incredible. And Jesus said they accompany the kingdom of God and the ministry of Jesus. But we don't just need isolated miracles. What we need is sustained rhythms and abiding in the presence of God in our everyday to grow actually mature in Christ. Our goal is to actually be like Jesus, to become like Jesus. That's what our true goal, that's what our goals are. So if prayer is not producing maturity in Christ, then there's something that's not right about it. So when God has our focus, when he has our attention, what will he do? And this is where we end, and I think there's an important thing here for us all to understand, is that when we're giving ourselves to the Lord in prayer, I think he's gonna start purifying our hearts and our worship. Here's what I mean by that. If you've been in the prayer room, you know that we have this um, oil lamp that just burns constantly, 24-7. And that's an intentional symbol that Jesus and the scriptures gave us. The idea of of the flame continuing to burn. It actually comes from Leviticus chapter six. It says this, the fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. Every morning the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and burn the fat of the fellowship offerings on it. The fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously and it must not go out. Why is that such an important thing? Well, it's important because it's symbolic of something. The fire, the flame, the oil, the sacrifice, the offering, it's symbolic. It's symbolic of several things. It represents us bringing God our very best, bringing bringing him the best of what we've got. 
which is what God actually requires. He can do that. He's God. He can require stuff of us. And he actually requires us to give, us, give him our, uh, our best. And that's what the offering, the sacrifice represents. The flame and the oil, they also represent the presence of God. You remember Moses, the burning bush. This was the manifest presence of God came to him in a fire. So it's symbolic of God's presence. So you don't want that fire to burn out. Because then the symbol is lost. The second thing that flame represents is, is purification. You know, the, the image of fire in scripture is often equated with God's judgment because it is. But not all fire in the Bible is actually hellfire, damnation. It's not that. Often in the case, it's purifying fire. It's God refining precious metals out of all of its impurities and making it fully pure. So that's what God wants to do and it also represents the power of the Holy Spirit. So what I deeply sense is that as we continue into this next phase, our next step of our journey into the praying life, which some of you are like, okay, we've been talking about the praying life for pretty much full on for the last couple of years. Maybe we'll move on to something else. Sorry to disappoint you, we're just getting started. We're just getting started. And as we take this next step into the praying life, what I believe God wants to do, now that he has our attention, is I think he wants to purify us. And the three, the three ways I think God wants to purify us is I think it's gonna begin with the confession of sin. It's gonna begin with true repentance. Again, typically in the West, we've sort of twisted that concept and that idea. The reality is that um, God just wants all of you. He wants your whole heart. And there's plenty that's going on in your life right now that's just in the dark and that just God wants to deal with, purify you from, so that you're actually living your life as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to Him. And so this is the first thing that God wants to do. Now that He has our full attention, He just watch Him. He's gonna start shining the light in a loving and gentle way towards the areas of your life that need to be burned away by the flame of the Holy Spirit. So he's gonna do that. So don't resist repentance because it feels scary or off or whatever. It's like, hey, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So surrender to the wave. Surrender to the Holy Spirit doing this work in your life and actually take full advantage of the Lord's presence and how he wants to purify you from sin. The second thing that I believe God wants to do, or the way that God wants to uh, uh, purify us, is uh, through unseating the rival idols of our heart. Unseat the rivals. Unseat the idols. And we are so, particularly in the modern era, so distracted by our tech and other things. And in and of themselves, they're fine, but when they occupy our attention, they get our affection. And when we can't look away, we can't actually worship God when we're focused on something else. So he's wanting to unseat those idols. We wanna be the kinds of people like David, looming army on the horizon who want him by name dead. And he says, you know what? I got a new worship song for you. I've been praising Jesus. I've been praising the Lord and I've got a new one for you. What do you think? How does this sound? My God, earnestly I seek you. 
in a dry and weary land where there's no water. I've seen your power and your glory, beheld you in your temple. Your love's better than life. My lips will always praise you. Not, we wanna be the kinds of people that where nothing, no distraction, nothing at all could be able to unseat the Lord from the throne of our hearts. And this is what God is doing through the purification process. He is naming idols and he's removing them. The third thing that the Lord wants to purify, I believe, is a recovery of the whole and true gospel. A lot of times, um, I don't know, gosh, through my life I've just seen this rival gospel that's like Christian adjacent. It's not the true gospel, but it's like enough of the true gospel that some of us are fooled by it, including some, including me. I call it the gospel of ease and comfort. God's here to make everything just really simple and easy and good and great for you and prosperity and all the stuff. Free ticket to heaven when you die, all that stuff. It's not that all that stuff is wrong, it's actually that it's mostly true. But the true gospel is that Jesus is the true king. It's that Jesus is the one who rose from the dead. And when we get him as Lord and King, then we get everything that he wants to add. We get every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He adds to us everything that we need. So what the Lord wants to do is he wants to recover the, the whole gospel that is all about him and all about his glory. So that's what I believe the Lord wants to purify us in. Repentance from sin, unseeing idols, recovering the true gospel. And here's what I think you should be ready to expect is that when the kingdom of God goes out, goes forth, it, it starts by going deep, and then it starts to go wide. Jesus told us this a variety of different ways, particularly in his parables. Mustard seed, for example, starts small, insignificant, you can hardly see it, no one really pays that much attention to it, but when it goes into the soil and takes hold, it actually takes over the whole garden. So what God is doing first is he's He's, he's making this reality of his love. He's, he's letting that reality go deep into you. And that's going to multiply from you. So before we ever expect to see God's power outward, we're going to see it inward. And we're going to see it go deep. I believe that's what you want in life. I believe it's the answer. I believe it in the hedonistic sense of that word. Like I actually think it's better than anything it's more gratifying, it's more pleasurable, it's more delightful, it's more satisfying than anything else. So what do you say? What do you say we give the rest of our lives to kingdom come, to seeking God as a matter of first importance in life? Let's stand and pray. So the team is gonna lead us in worship. And as they do, um, make these words your prayer. want to pray over you. Holy Spirit, we thank you that the Father and the Son have made you possible. And that when we pray, sometimes our circumstances change, but, but really what happens is we change. We are transformed. And we thank you, God, for that. And God, we're hungry. We, we don't want any cheap substitute don't want distractions, we want you. 
So in the name of Jesus, I pray as we worship and as we praise, just that veil between heaven and earth would just be, be opened up. Pray for my friends here that we would hear your voice, that we would pursue you, seek you like David sought you, and never give up.